Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Rob. And welcome to the Help Me, I'm Middle Age podcast. Where you can find fun, exciting things about being middle-aged. Oh, you're going to find things about us and about yourself you never thought you knew. Hold on, come along for the ride. It's going to be fun. Welcome to the Help Me, I'm Middle Age podcast. My name is Rob. And I'm Rob, too. And our guest today is Steve Kern. How are you, sir? Very good, thanks. Okay. And your current title is head of... Can you well, give us... It's the office. director of the Office of the Diaconate yes, for the uh, uh, Diocese of Metuchen. Right, right. But before we go there, we noticed on your resume that you went to Notre Dame. Yes. And we, we Googled the years. Were you there with Rudy from the uh, movie? Actually, the Rudy game that's in the movie happened the year after I graduated. Oh. But my wife, who's a year behind me, was still going to St. Mary's, and she was at that game. Wow. I, I came out to visit her. I was at that game also. Oh, you actually were there? You were I there. Was, I was in law school at the time, but we were there. Oh, oh cool. so you've seen him carry him off the field. And, and we're like, what are they doing? We had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rudy, we Rudy, didn't know any Rudy, of the backstory. Yeah. We didn't know any of the backstory. So oh, my God. We're just cheering, whatever. Yeah. That's a great story, though. Who could say that? Yep. You know, you know? Yep. Well, you have a very interesting life. So you're originally from the Bergen County area. Yes. Mm-hmm. Grew up, uh, well, originally in Paramus. Bergen County, New Jersey. Yep. Paramus, New Jersey, yep. uh, the capital of the malls. Capital of the malls. Uh, <laughs> once the first one went in, my father decided it was too crowded, so we moved west to the uh, farms of Franklin Lakes, which is no longer farms. Yeah. Right, right. And went right. to high school at uh, uh, St. Joe's Regional in Montvale. Not St. Joe's, I'm a touch in here. Right, right. But up in Montvale. And uh, went to college at Notre Dame, law school at Villanova. So was it um, was it as tough like to get into Notre Dame back then? Was it like was it was the school have the same? It, it had a cash, you know, a, a reputation, but I don't think it was as hard as it is now. I was just looking at some uh, admission numbers the other day because I'm doing a recommendation for a uh, an in law, and um, yeah, it's just I think it's even tougher now. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of colleges. Now, yeah, it's getting yeah. more difficult. Uh, it's uh. just uh, the admission rates are so low. So many people are applying, yeah. thousands of people applying. Yeah. And then Villanova, good school. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, it's literally across the tracks from the undergraduate school on the other side of the mm-hmm. railroad tracks. So it's kind of its own little universe, the law school. But it was a good school, and I enjoyed being uh, outside Philly. And my wife, for her last two years uh, of getting her master's, she needed to work in a hospital. So she got a job at Albert Einstein Medical Center uh, north of Philly. So we were after being apart 700 miles for a year or two, we were back together again. So that was awesome. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. Before we were married. We had the stars line up sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then you started your law degree. I mean, it's law work. Yeah. I clerked for a judge up in Hackensack. Our uh, first year we, uh, we got married, moved to Edison, and then um, had a job for uh, just about a year with a small firm. And then got the job with the uh, Port Authority uh, Law Department which I appealed to me because of all their involvement in transportation and stuff, which mm. is massive. always been a big Most people don't even realize how much the Port Authority oh, yeah. actually have their fingers into it. Land, no, ports, true. trains, uh, airports. I mean, the yeah. amount of legal work, well, that's be insane. It's amazing. I, I mean, we did just, the legal department did just about everything except divorces and estates. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just about everything else you can think I'm of. surprised it wasn't part of the benefit package yeah, right. at the Port yeah. Authority. That's, that's part of what appealed to me, too. It was a very right. broad, very broad uh, field. 
lots of stuff going on. And you were in Edison at that time? Yeah. You get there? Okay. In Edison, we moved to uh, Flemington 30 years ago last week, actually. Okay. Right. 30 years ago last week. It was a little more of a commute. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. knew, uh, you know, we knew the downside to moving west was going to be the commute. And um, we figured I'm the one that was going to take that on, not, not my wife so much. Right. So um, that was the price we paid. And then... After 9-11, the commute became even worse for the next 13 years. Yeah. Right, but, right, uh, right, right. That's all right. So you were there on 9-11. This day is like um, seared in, I think, our generation's minds. Yeah, and this being the 20th anniversary. It just passed. So, um, but you were also there during 93, yeah. too. So how long were you working in the Trade Center? I started with the Port Authority in November of 1981, I think. Okay. 81. And uh, at that point, the Trade Center had only been officially open for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the guys in our engineering department and legal department had worked on building the towers. They were still there. Um, so, yeah, I started with them in 81. And then uh, I've been an intended murder victim twice. Yeah. Uh, once was in the bombing in February 26, 1993. And then uh, eight and a half years later for 9-11. Right. What was the 93 one like for you? Um, I was on the 68th floor. The Port Authority headquarters were in the North Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, One World Trade is the address. And I was in my office on the 68th floor. I was on the phone with somebody, and suddenly all the lights went out. The phone went dead. And Did it shake? Did you feel it? Not too much. Now, just as background, if you recall, um, the, the, uh, the bomb was parked in the basement right. two, levels, mm-hmm. yeah. two levels below ground yeah. in a van. So on the 68th floor, we heard a bang, but we didn't feel a lot of shaking, not like 9-11. Yeah. Um, but the next day, I walked out in the hall to find out what's going on. And when I looked down the hall, already smoke was coming out of the elevators because of the chimney effect. Right, 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 right. The bomb under the basement, smoke just poured right up the building right away. And then, um, you know, yelled to everybody, let's get out of here. We need to evacuate. I don't know what the problem is, but it's not good. right. And, uh, yeah, it took, um, took three and a half hours to get out of the building. Really? Wow. Yeah. It was a very long evacuation. And um, the second part of it, um, the first part was we had lights in the stairwell, and it was very hazy, very smoky. Uh, we got off on the 43rd floor, which is where the Port Authority cafeteria was, and uh, hung out there for a while. There were a lot of people there. Um, conditions were a little bit better than in the stairwell. So we waited there for the fire department to come up. <clears throat> when they finally did and said we could go the rest of the way down, they also instructed the Port Authority to turn off any emergency lighting that they had. Mm. Um, I, I think at the time they weren't sure what had happened yet. And they right. were wondering if there was a transformer explosion for Con Ed or uh, And no one's imagining what really happened. Something. Yeah. yeah, well, except the guys that are down there. So yeah. so the rest, of the rest of the trip, the last 43 stories, was in pitch black. Just like this. <laughs> can't believe that happened. When I, said that. Well, I know, right? That's crazy, right? It's a motion sensor. I'll tell you. Go ahead. So. Um, yeah, so we were in pitch black the rest of the way down, and there's no, no windows in the stairwell, so yeah. it's just like you know what a blind person must, yeah. must deal with. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, when you finally got out and your people out um, – it must have been mayhem on the street, right? Just people. I'm sure, like people were falling. Everyone's nervous. I mean, it's got to be, you know, horrible. There, there was a lot of panic in the stairwell. Um, 
And because there were a lot of times when we weren't moving, which was the worst thing, actually. Uh, there were a lot of times when it was so crowded uh, and the conditions were such that we were just, um, you know, standing there. Right. So it's better if you're moving and your adrenaline is going. Or right, at least whatever. you're purposeful in your actions. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the North Tower more important than the South Tower? Oh, to me it was. Oh, well, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was a Port Authority headquarters, but no, they're, they're pretty much equal. I mean... One had a restaurant at the top. The other had the observation deck. Windows right. on the world. Yeah. yeah. Right. And the cellar in the sky, the big wine cellar up there. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And then uh, the other one had the observation deck, which was kind of unique, too, because unlike most tall buildings, almost every building that's really tall like that has an observation deck. But mm-hmm. this one, you could actually go outside. Yeah. It actually had a platform on the roof yeah. set back, obviously, from the edge. And uh, I was up there. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, very cool. In fact, before I even worked there, we went there just as tourists. And right. I joke with my older daughter that she had her diaper changed at 1,378 feet. <laughs> Quarter <laughs> mile in the sky. Feet, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it was very cool. Wow. Uh, but once we got down to the bottom, just to finish your question, Rob, um, it was, the chaos didn't begin right away. The uh, In the wintertime, the plaza between the two buildings uh, frequently had ice on it, and they mm. closed it, so you couldn't walk. Well, that's the way we got out of the building. We had to walk down across okay. the plaza. And on Church Street, which at that point is about a block away, you just saw wall, you know, wall-to-wall ambulances and mm. police vehicles and lights swirling and all that. So it was kind of surreal because you came down out of the building. It's all very quiet. There's just people walking across the plaza. Yeah. And then in the distance, there's all this chaos and people mm. waiting and... Trying to figure out what's going on. Services, yeah. And six people, was it six people died? Uh, Six adults, one of whom was seven months pregnant. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Monica Smith. uh, Four four of those were Port Authority employees having their lunch down in a basement area. Oh, man. Yeah. And Monica was seven months pregnant. And the other, the tragic thing about that was it happened on a Friday, and it was Monica's last day of work before maternity leave. So, yeah, it was a shame. Wow. And that property damage was just unbelievable. Um, I, my my uh, job at the time was head of the claims department. Oh, wow. So talk uh, about job security. Yeah. Um, and I think I totaled 1,500 cars that were in the basement. Wow. So, uh, and the pictures from that day uh, are amazing. They, they built seven, uh, I'm sorry, six stories below ground when they dug what we jokingly called the World Trade Center basement, six stories below ground. So uh, the bomb, you know, collapsed everything down to the bottom and blew up three stories up above ground into the hotel that connected the two towers. Um, And I got to see, a week later to the minute, actually, I got to see it. I was down there with my hard hat and everything and temporary lighting. It was very, it's hard to describe. It was, the devastation was enormous. Is that, um, and we're going to talk about it later, the, the museum that recently had been created for 9-11. Is that referenced in the museum, the 93 situation? Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Um, I don't, I'm not sure how much time they give it or space, but it is yeah. down there, yeah. Okay. And actually, ironically, that's where the museum is now. The museum is, even yeah. though there's a building above ground, mm-hmm. the bulk of the museum is below ground in those six yeah. stories. Wow. Interesting. So, so then you start the rebuilding process. Life eventually gets back to normal. 
That was an amazing story, too, actually. Uh, I don't, we probably don't have time to go into it in detail, but 210-story buildings, every horizontal surface had a film of grease and soot on it. Everything. Everything horizontal in this office times 110 stories times one acre each floor. Because of the explosion? A, th- a, a layer of soot and grime on everything. Really? And so to get that place reopened was an amazing task. I didn't have anything directly to do with it, but we hired, I don't know, something like 3,000 temporary employees. Mm. Cleaning staff, right? And Yeah, and cleaning supplies and all that stuff so that that the governor could symbolically walk into his office in the Trade Center three and a half weeks after the bombing. Um, It was pretty amazing, actually. Interesting. Wow. I never heard about that. And yeah. So the mindset right from the get-go, in fact, people, we were still meet, people were meeting uh, even before they went home. You know, when you got mm-hmm. down to the bottom, you tried to find somebody that you knew. And right. Where was everybody? And the mindset was, hey, let's get this thing open again. You know, we got it. Right. And so I, I mentioned that because on 9-11, the mindset was kind of similar. Right. Until the towers fell. Right. Nobody was expecting that. Yeah. Now, th- did a heightened sense of security, could you really see that after the 93 attack up until two, uh, 2001? There were, there were some, yeah, there were definite changes. And ironically, uh, you might be able to make an argument that the death toll on 9-11 was not as horrible as it could have been mm-hmm. because of things they did in the eight and a half years in between. Right. They added reflective tape on all the stairs. They put more lighting in, more communications. Now, a lot of that didn't work either right. by the nature of the flying yeah. bombs that hit the building. But enough of it did work. Uh, the evacuation was much, much quicker. On well, that's, that's good. Yeah. I got down in 50 minutes as opposed to three and a half hours. Wow. So, uh, yeah, they did do that. And then there were more subtle things, like suddenly uh, after, after the bombing, you couldn't find trash cans in the Trade Center anymore. So it's like mm. you buy coffee on the way into work. You got no place to put the cup until you got to your office because that right. could be a receptacle for a bomb. Exactly. Or the idea was you could put, and they actually most of Lower Manhattan they got rid of receptacles for a few years okay. too, as I recall. Wow. So little things like that. Interesting. So then um, it, it happened again. I mean, it must have been like surreal. Like this is this is like not happening again. Like what was that? What was the morning like? Yeah, I was going to say. Do you remember leaving your house thinking like, what's today going to be? No, but I, I remember what my, what my almost last conversation with my wife was mm-hmm. uh, because I, <clears throat> excuse me, on the way to the train station in White House, um, I heard on the news that uh, Bishop Breen, our bishop at the time, uh, uh, had resigned mm-hmm. uh, because of, he, well, now wait a minute, he either resigned or he died. He had Alzheimer's, so he, gotcha. he resigned at one point. Whichever that was, I remember calling her on my cell phone and saying, or my mobile phone. <laughs> the mobile. That's what we had the back flip, then, right? <laughs> only did one thing. You yep, exactly. carried it behind it you. made phone calls. <laughs> so I remember calling her and telling her, hey, hey, you should hear in the news about Bishop Breen. And that was almost, I remember that was almost my last conversation with her. Mm-hmm. And then uh, other than that, it was a typical you know, normal typical morning. morning. Right. The un- one not normal thing was the gorgeous sky. It was it just, just crisp. It was yeah. It's unbelievable. Blue. Crisp blue. <clears throat> so, yeah, we got in. I got into my office. Um, uh, this time I'm on the 62nd floor. Mm-hmm. Um, 
of the 13 people who worked for me and claims 10 of them were in the, or nine others, me and one, nine others, they were in the office mm-hmm. at 846. And I had just left my office and was going to travel down to the elevator to go down to 44 and get coffee. <laughs> and uh, while I was walking, there was a loud bang and the building started shaking violently. Mm. Um, so violently that a couple of my coworkers like lost their footing wow. and fell to their knees. So uh, the shaking seemed to go for a good 20 seconds or maybe 30 seconds. And uh, again, kind of a lesson learned from the bombing eight and a half years earlier, I yelled to everybody, get out into the hallway. Had no idea what happened, but if the building's shaking like that, something's going on. It can't be good. So you're, you're at the 62nd where you work. You're at, now at 44? No, no, no. I hadn't gotten to oh, 44 gotten yet. And that, where did the plane hit? Um, the North Tower, I think, was around 90. Okay. 91. So a good like 20 that. plus floors above where you were. Yeah, a little more than that. Yeah. I actually had a meeting that morning at 9.30 scheduled on 74, so I would have been closer. I yelled everybody to get out into the hallway and go down the nearest staircase. Um, there's three staircases in each tower that go from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, They're and, continuous all the way through? Yeah. Okay. And, um, well, some floors there's like a longer platform, but mm-hmm. yeah, they go from top to bottom pretty much. Um, so I stood at the entrance to the door. I knew from 1993 that we would not be able to stay together as a group. Ten people all together wasn't going to work because there's already, I mean, Everybody's h- coming hundreds down. of people pouring yeah. into the stairwell. Right. Two or three people could stay together, but I didn't think ten was going to do it. So yeah. I said, I decided to stand at the doorway and count mm-hmm. and make sure that the nine people went down before me, figuring if this was serious, which it seemed to be, and if I made it out, if I saw them all go down the stairs, then I could assume that Everybody they went out. Yeah. So I was doing that for a few minutes. There's a lot of confusion. People, some people came out of the stairwell to cook. They forgot something at their office. They wanted to bring it bring with them or bring home or whatever. Um, so after a few minutes, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's probably a good idea if I go down. Right. Um, but I wasn't sure in the confusion if all nine of them had gotten in the stairwell. I knew I'd seen at least eight. Those are direct reports? Those people reporting to you? No, yes. Okay. Yeah, no, I was the chief of the division. So these were all people, claims adjusters and uh, secretaries. Now they'd be called administrative assistants, but back then they were secretaries. Um... So I wasn't sure. I knew I'd seen at least eight. So I said, you know what? I better go in and check the offices and the cubicles um, and the file room and the conference room before I go down. So I did that. And I was about halfway through the offices when I went into my secretary's office. And uh, I walked into the office and looked around. And this is one of the images that's kind of burned in my brain. Um is when our eyes met, because not only hadn't she left, she was on her knees under her desk. And I'll never forget the look on her face. She looked at me and had eyes as big as saucers and said, it's an earthquake. I said, Rose, look outside your window. What do you see? There's hunks of metal and wreckage and concrete and glass coming down from somewhere above us. So I don't know what happened, but something happened above us. It's not an earthquake. And not only that, I don't think it's that important what happened right. at this point. I think the important thing is we got to get out of here. So I grabbed her hand, and she came out and decided that was probably the best thing to do. So she went down. 
Um, the trip down, like I said, was much quicker than 93. Um, I have to remind people we didn't have smartphones then. So they're like, well, how come you didn't know what was going on? Well, yeah. we didn't have smartphones. We had mobile phones that only made calls. We did have little texture devices. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'm not in front of the mic, sorry. Little texture devices you wore in your belt that got yellow text messages. Yeah. You yeah. guys might be too young to remember that. Airball. There was, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But the problem was they weren't in real time, so everything was delayed. Right. So we're going down the stairs. About 15 minutes into the trip, somebody gets a text message that a plane hit the building. And the reaction the stairwell is kind of puzzlement. Like, well, that's weird. How do you miss something that big? Right. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, that's odd, some kind of weird, crazy accident. In real time, 17 minutes after we were hit, the other plane hit the went south. down the Hudson, took a U-turn at the Statue of Liberty, came back and hit the South Tower. Did you have, did you, did you feel it in your building? We didn't hear it, which mystifies me to this day because the towers are not that far apart, really. Right. right. And where did that, where did that hit? That also hit up, uh. It came up the Hudson, right? No, I mean. No, he means in the building. Oh, I I think that was the high 80s. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um. But it went in differently, didn't go in. Our, the plane that went into our building went pretty much straight. Yeah. Uh. The plane on the other side kind of clipped the corner a little bit, which is why that tower went down first, first right. even though it was hit second. In any event, we didn't hear it. And I was on the stairwell closest to the South Tower, too, which is doubly mystifying to me. Hmm. Here again, it's like 10, 15 minutes later, somebody gets a text message that a plane hit the other building. Now the reaction in the stairwell is very different. Yeah. Now you could hear people audibly gasp. Some people started crying. Did they stop going down ever? Or, I mean, did people... Well, there was delays here and there. It's not, it's not like you were racing down the stairs. There were too many people for that to happen. But it wasn't like 93 where you were stopped for five and ten minutes at a time, not moving. It was moving just slowly. Right. Um, we got down to the 20th floor and things did slow down there because the stairwells were only wide enough at that time for two people. And at the 20th floor, we saw our first firefighter going up as we were going down. So now, the rest of the trip, we had to go single file because Port Authority police and firefighters were coming up the other side trying to get people out of the building. Wow. Uh, finally get down to the plaza. I don't know if you can see this. Whoops. Uh, that's a picture of the way it looked on 9-11 before 9-11, before the bomb, the attacks. Um the building in the middle is the hotel, right. the Marriott. North Tower. It was a Marriott then. In 93, it was a Vista. Uh, the North Tower. Can we make a shot of this? Put yeah, it I'll get it after. Okay. okay. The North Tower, where I was, is on the right in this picture, South Tower on the left. The plaza in the middle, you know, uh, in fact, this sphere that you see in the middle of the fountain is still on display uh, at Liberty Park with all the damage it sustained. Um. I show people this picture because it's the only way, the only picture I have to show you what happened next. When I got down to uh, the bottom floor and looked out, of course, this didn't look anything like this. It looked like what one of our other docents at the Tribute Museum calls a war zone. And he was a Vietnam vet, so he would know what he's talking about. It was just, you know, smokes and fires and bodies and glass and concrete and airplane wreckage. And it was just a horrible Rather than leave, I decided to go to our police headquarters. Again, Port Authority has its own police force that p patrolled the building. 
buildings. And again, remember, there's six levels below this. Right. Well, the first level at that time was almost entirely a shopping mall. It was a huge shopping mall, one level below ground. So our police headquarters was there. And it was right about where my finger is, right on the edge of the fountain, one level below ground. So that's where I went next uh, to see if I could help or find out what's going on. I just watched a movie about 9-11 with Nicolas Cage. Have you ever seen that one? I haven't seen it yet, but I know about it. He's one of our police officers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought it was a real interesting, another, another angle from it. Yeah, and I have the soundtrack to it. I love the music from that movie. It is good. Yeah. Um, but I haven't watched it yet. A little, sometimes it hits a little home, too close, yeah, too yeah, close to home. I yeah. haven't been able to watch it. I have it, but yeah. I haven't watched it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what I did. I went down to the police headquarters and uh, one level below ground, and I was there for about 10 minutes. <clears throat> there were only about five cops with me. Most of them were in the building trying to get people out, but there's a skeleton crew there with me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had a guy with me from uh, from Port Authority, too, Um and then at uh, 9.59, I was just about 10 minutes after I got there, uh, suddenly uh, there was this loud roar, uh, which is very difficult to describe, but it's kind of like rolling thunder times 20. And even though we were underground, where we were was shaking. Um, it was a, an office with ceiling tiles. They started falling on us. Um, we ran from the back of the police uh, headquarters to the doorway but it was uh, blocked by debris so we did what what my secretary did an hour and a quarter earlier we all dove under desks or got under door frames hoping that was going to protect us from whatever this was we had no idea what it was but what it was was the south tower coming down uh really above my head when you get right down to it so this time, when the shaking stopped, uh, the most immediate effect was smoke. I mean, I could see maybe from me to the doorway, not probably not even that far. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was talking about seeing, and, and the light went out again. Mm-hmm. Ominous. Um, so we had a couple of advantages being in the police area. One of the one of the cops got a a huge axe, which they used to pry open the door so he could get out. There was a water cooler there, and your first reaction to that is, why the heck would that be important? Again, a lesson learned from 93, from the bombing, with all that smoke in the air. If you think of what's in the air when a 110-story building collapses, Mm. you had, you know, uh, pulverized concrete and pulverized glass and asbestos and silicone, all kinds of things that aren't good for human lungs. Sure. So in the bombing in 93, while we were at the employee cafeteria, we all grabbed ice from the salad bar mm-hmm. and put it into a handkerchief or a T-shirt or right. whatever and put it, up, put it up in front of your mouth so you had a crude filter. So I said to the guys, before we leave, we should do the same thing. Smart. So we did that. Uh, got out into the hallway, used the axe to get into the Borders bookstore, if you remember Borders at the northeast corner of the site and finally got out to the street and I started walking northeast towards City Hall and I went two blocks before I could see the sky. Yeah, because the South Tower had fallen. I was in the middle of this debris cloud. Sure. Uh, When I could see the sky, I turned around and I could see my tower standing with giant holes, a giant multi-story hole in it with smoke and flames pouring out of it. And I looked to my left, which is where the South Tower shouldn't have been, and I just saw empty sky. And so for the first time, I realized what happened. 
it doesn't even compute in your mind at that point, right? Yeah, no, it's like, well, and now, now my focus totally changes. Now I have to find a phone. Okay. I'm, I got to call my wife. I right. got to let her know I'm alive. And um, that wasn't easy because most of the f- public phones weren't working. And if you had a mobile phone, most of those weren't working either. Right. And no, I, no. I had left mine in my office, so it didn't matter anyway. So I started looking for a phone and I started walking northwest. And at 1028, I was at a point six blocks north of the site. And I heard that horrible roar again. And this time, even though there were buildings between me and the site, this time I knew what that meant. This was my tower, the North Tower, coming down. So I ran to the nearest cross street and looked south. I saw the end of it uh, coming down. And then another weird site that's kind of burned into my brain is uh, the sight of hundreds of people running as fast as they could toward me from my perspective, toward me from my perspective, um, but I'm sure it was this way all the way around the site, yeah. running as fast as they could, being chased by this multi-story cloud Dust. that, because of the canyon effect in New York, right. was being pushed in between the buildings, so it looked like it was alive, you know, like it was after these people, like some kind of weird monster movie. Wow. Very, very weird sight. Yeah, that's scary. Finally found a phone uh, at uh, the subway station at Canal Street, um, which, of course, the, all the subway stations were abandoned at that point. Um, found a phone at work down in the, in the station. Uh, this is now about 11.35, so it's 10 minutes short of three hours. Your poor wife has got to be like, oh, my she, God. Yeah, she has her own story to tell that day. Sure. Um, she was supposed to teach over at Our Lady of Peace in Fords, and a co-worker drove her back to pick up the kids at Immaculate Conception in Somerville and Immaculate High School. They got home, uh, my oldest daughter manned one of the tele. We had a landline. We had one, one mobile phone, so my oldest daughter took one. My wife took the other. The phone machine was totally full of messages. It was like everybody I'd ever met in my life, I right. guess, was calling. Sure. And my wife kept answering the phone and saying, I haven't heard from him, and I really can't talk to you. I need to keep this line open. In fact, she jokes that when I finally got through, she almost hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think she's joking. <laughs> um so, yeah, that's how, that's or in a nutshell how she spent her morning. But finally at 11.35, we connected. Um, and even 20 years later, it's hard to talk about that phone call without getting sure. very emotional. Um, but I do remember in typical stupid fashion, I, I started off when she answered the phone. I said, I think I ruined another suit at work today. <laughs> she said, I'll buy you two. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then the rest of the day was, you know, like a bad movie, you know, Escape from Manhattan, that movie that was right. out. Escape from New York, yeah. yeah. Trying, trying to get out of the island um, because only, the only public transportation that was working was going north, which doesn't help when you live in Flemington. So. No. What time no. did you eventually get back home? That well, that's another odd thing. I, I walked up to a law firm that we did business with at 42nd Street, right by Grand Central Station, and I cleaned up a little bit, and they had a television. Mm-hmm. And found out that some trains were starting to leave west from Penn Station. So I walked over there, got on one of the first trains west off the island. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, I got home at White House the exact same time I would have. Really? If it had been a normal work day, I pulled in at about 7 o'clock. Wow. Wow. And um, instead of going right, my wife picked me up. My car keys were in my office. So I had no wallet. I had nothing. Yeah. 
But um, rather than go home right away, uh, Father Tim uh, Christie mm-hmm. uh, was, was saying a special mass at church for the missing, the dead, uh, and those we didn't know about. So uh, we went there first and then went home. Yeah, I sat in the back because I looked <laughs> rather uh, yeah. conspicuous. Right. So. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a quite a day. So this the, this day cha- changes your life like like no other day because like you still have trauma over it. Of course, you know you can still like feel you can still feel it like in, when you tell the story. Well, some parts, yeah. I mean, I've told the story a lot because I'm a docent right. for not the National Museum, but the Tribute Museum, right. which is three blocks south on Greenwich. The Tribute Museum is a much smaller uh, museum started by families who lost loved ones. Mm-hmm. In fact, the main guy was a firefighter who lost his son, who was also a firefighter that day. So um, the, 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 the unique thing about the Tribute Museum is that all the docents, tour guides, all have a connection. They all have a story. Right. And they're, they either lost a loved one, they're a survivor such as myself, or they're a first responder. Um, and they weave their story through the tours of the memorial that we do. Wow. So that's what makes it a little different. Um, so I've told the story, you know, hundreds of times, but it's funny, over 20 years, and I don't want it to ever become rote like it didn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. But on the other hand, there are certain points where it gets you again where it hasn't for a long time. So like when my first grandchild was born five years ago, mm. I'd give the tour and I'd like, I'd be getting emotional at a certain point when I'd be thinking how I almost didn't see her, yeah. you know, and, and that I was blessed to see her and be here for that. So it's funny over the years, different things hit you uh, occasionally. And you, and even though you've talked about it hundreds and hundreds of times, you can still, it, focus it, in on it. I, I like. I don't know about other people, but for like my generation, I think if there's a crisp day in early September, mm. yeah. it's just eerie. You think it's just yeah. eerie. Like you just, you just something about those crisp days in early this September. Yeah, that it can be a beautiful day, but something. If can it's happen. early September and you got yeah. that first little chill in the air, and there ain't a cloud in the sky, yeah, your mind just goes right yeah. back. Yeah. My mind goes back to, and when I hear helicopters. <laughs> For some reason, that brings me back because that was a big thing after, obviously, after the hits. There were helicopters everywhere. Yeah. Well, I know my wife was bringing my son, who was born one month prior to that, back from his first month's checkup. And the big question is, what have we brought our kid Mm. into the world? What this is like going forward? So, yeah, it makes you think. But, uh, I mean, that's a tremendous experience you had. And did all of your coworkers, did you, I mean, how did you know a lot of people who did not make it out? Yeah. Uh, the Port Authority lost 84 people, uh, 37 cops, and, and the rest civilians. We lost four people from our department, but I thank God none of the nine who were in my division, mm-hmm. they, they all made it out. I thank God for that. Yeah, uh, and, and even Rose, although she had a very difficult time dealing with the aftermath, she was told, terribly traumatized. Uh, need a lot of therapy and stuff. But uh, to her credit, she came back to work about a year later yeah. and uh, worked for a few more years and then retired, and she's living a good life down in North Carolina now. She okay. calls me every 9-11. Nice. But, uh, yeah, people's reactions, to your point, Rob, um, 
Very different. Depends on the person. So you had Rose, I'll tell just as an example, those 10 people, myself and the nine who were under my charge, mm-hmm. you had Rose at one extreme. And at the other extreme, you know, we met for the first time three days later on, uh, what was that, the 14th, Friday the 14th, in unfinished office space in Newark that the Port Authority owned. And, uh, you know, when we first met, there was a lot of hugging and tears and Sure. And tears of joy that people were there and tears of sorrow that there were people that weren't there who we knew had died at this point. And um, when that was all done, one of the other women who worked for me said, okay, you're giving me a salary. You know, give me something to do. I'm here to work. <laughs> so we had that two, two extremes and everything in between. Right. At the end of the day, people, you had to start, you had to figure out how do we keep going. Right. I mean, we make jokes. I always wanted to clean my office, but that's <laughs> not really the way I wanted to do it. Right, um, right, right, right. But we had nothing. Yeah, yeah. You had, we had nothing. All files are gone. Computers are gone. Files, yeah, gone. Believe, you know, even back then, the you know paper was king. Sure. So. Right. You're just in an old office space now, right? There was no cloud to store stuff. So, right. I mean, that no, I, there was one. Uh, there was one. There was something backed up down uh, down in Philadelphia somewhere because the Port Authority was able to make their payroll on time, mm-hmm. which they were very proud of. Uh, so there was a little bit of backup stuff. I mean, we had computers back then, but uh, still, oh, yeah. not like what we have now. Wow. So, so, so then you start moving forward. You start building. Were you? Did you ever go back to the new building, or did you always work in a different space? Uh, Once the new the new building went up, yeah, we were we were nomads in my in my uh, uh, opinion for thirteen years. Oh, um, and then it took a long time before they started building down at the right. site again. Um, then they built one the new One World Trade, right, um, which is right next to where the North Tower was. And the commissioners of the Port Authority decided, now this is going back probably about 10 years, Mm -hmm. maybe more than that. The commissioners decided that the Port Authority would not move into One World Trade. Oh, okay. That it would be too traumatic for some of the employees who were still there. Um, That makes sense. Yeah, no, and I can tell you right now that if they had moved back into One World Trade, I would not have been there. Not because of me, but my wife would not yeah, she's like, there's no way you but, got you got to wait twice. You ain't gonna wait three. Yeah, times. right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Exactly. That's not happening again. Um, in fact, we used to have after 9/11, we had uh, evacuation drills for wherever we were. But for most of that 13 years, we were up at Park Avenue by Union Square, and uh, the other tenants are looking at us like we were crazy. But after what we've been through, we took them very seriously. So right. yeah. 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 got out the building, went down to the park three blocks away. We had our little bags that had a bottle of water and a transistor radio and a mask, yep. which is ironic. Right. Yeah. Everybody's wearing those now. And uh, I tell my wife when we got back, when we had our evacuation drill today, she said, oh, that's nice. Did, she, did they give you a... Uh, did they give you a rubber dinghy and a paddle? <laughs> I said, no. She said, then I'm not impressed. <laughs> when they give you a rubber dinghy and a paddle, I'll You can get impressed. off the island. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, eventually, uh, and I was pleased that it was uh, 14 months before I retired, we moved back down to the Trade Center site. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved into the little building of 72 stories for World Trade. And... Uh, my office was on the west side overlooking the memorial pools, so I really felt like I had kind of come full circle. Sure. So, so, so the, um, you're, you're 
a very strong man of faith, right? And, and, to be. <laughs> did this move you closer to that? Like you then, I, I don't know at what point you became a deacon. Uh, did, was that like a pivotal, yeah, how, did that, how did that affect your, your life? Do, like, do you think you would have been a deacon without this? Yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've been asked that before. A lot of people assume that that's why I became a deacon. Right. I, be, I was ordained 11 and a half years ago and entered formation five years before that. So 2005, mm-hmm. I entered into formation. It takes five mm-hmm. years to become a deacon. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had been thinking about it before 9-11. Right. So there was something nagging me, calling uh, or whatever, to be more involved in the church to get a deeper level of intensity. Uh, but there's no doubt that 9-11 crystallized mm-hmm. whatever I'd been thinking of, um, especially the aftermath, uh, which is where I end my tours because it's possibly w- one of the very few positive things that you could say about 9-11 is the outpouring of compassion that happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically of the nine months that it took to restore the site. Um you know, from the very beginning, there were just tons and tons of people. You couldn't you couldn't have enough people there. In fact, they had too many people. You mean helping with the cleanup? Helping with everything. Even that day when I got off the train at White House, the White House, House Rescue Squad, they were looking for people to come off the train who had been there. Right. Like they wanted to help. Right. 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 They saw me. They're like, oh, we'll take you to the hospital. we got to get you to the hospital. I said, no, please, I appreciate what you want to do. I really do. But I need my family before I need anything else, and I'm not hurt physically. Right. So, um, and, and in, in the nine months after that, over a half million people, over 500,000 people volunteered at the site. Wow. From every state in this country and 70 countries around the world. Wow. Yeah, people from 70 countries around the world volunteering. Yeah. Uh, and their efforts range from just, you know, handing out water bottles to people to working on the pile where fires burned for four months straight, endangering their lives, which many of them have paid the price for that. Yeah, yeah horrible, I, I know someone too. Who did. Yeah, with horrible respiratory diseases. Um, for people they didn't know, yeah. and families they would never meet. So the finest hour for your fellow citizens to come together. Yeah, you know, when we were kids, I had three younger siblings, and if we had a day when everybody was getting along and there were no fights, I can remember my mother saying, my father would say, how are everything today at the house? Oh, great. He said, they were all good. I wish I could bottle it. <laughs> well, that's what I wish about those nine months. Right. I wish we could bottle that because yeah. it was just such an example of service, which is what diaconia, which is where the word deacon comes from, is all about service. And um, so it was very, it was very inspiring to me yeah. to see all. They say you know we need an, we need another nine twelve. Yeah, you know right. what I mean. It's we need to, to revert back to the way we were right. after that because that's where humanity. You really have faith in what yeah. humanity can do for good. So yep. totally. Yeah. So so now when you, um, I remember going to the nine eleven museum, and I didn't go for a long time, and. Uh, me and my wife went, we were with another couple, they were from out of town and they wanted to see it. So we took them into the city, you know, did the whole hosting thing. They have my shoes, by the way. Oh, they do. Oh, really? <laughs> They're not on display at the moment, but they have my shoes. I had to get to it. I mean, I got to it really quick. I, I just felt the amount of sad, 
like depression like it just brought me back to that day you know what i mean like i remember pulling over on um 16w by the old giant stadium and from there you can look right across the mm. meadows and there were cars just parked everywhere like people just getting up on their hoods they were just looking because it was a direct shot you mm. can see the fire but it was such a sad day and i i just couldn't i couldn't i, I remember like um i always used to listen to 88 CBS, WCBS, mm-hmm. AM, W88, and mm-hmm. I was listening that morning. And then when you go down there, that's one of them and 1010 Winds is mm. one of the radio stations you can listen. You can listen to the live feed from that morning. Oh, and really? Uh-huh. It's just so sad. I was like, I got to get out. I just, I, just, I just went through very quickly, and I waited for everyone to come out. But when you're working at the museum, like, you're, you're not really having that separation. Like, you're trying to share your story to educate people. Right. But it's also, is it like a constant emo- or emotional experience? How often are you there? There's a cathartic to, to be able to. Well, like free therapy? Or yeah, is it- I didn't start doing tours until about, well, I decided to do this to honor the, uh, to, I wanted to do something on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. So that's when I got involved with the tours. And I don't do them again at the National right, Museum, right. the big one that you went to. I work out of the Tribute Center. But it's the same principle. Your question's the same. Um, by 10 years after, it really wasn't cathartic, even though I hadn't been giving tours. I told it, you know, every, again, it's like my coworkers. Everybody reacts differently. So some people don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. ever. They don't want to see reminders mm-hmm. of it, whatever. There's other people I belong to a you know a Facebook page of people that uh, are interested in the Trade Center and show old pictures of before 9/11 all that <clears throat> and it's interesting to me but some of those people are like living in the past it's like yeah. it's like an obsession with them you know they you know we never we sh- should have built them exactly the same way and you can just tell by their comments they're like so emotional about it yeah. you, and I just you just can't live like that all the time. Right, you know, you, move you, gotta, on. you have to move forward. Um, and again, I, I apparently there's a reason why I'm still here. So get get going on that reason, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. But um, but the value, like I saw some of the specials. You, uh, I was watching Netflix, and you're on a special on Netflix. And I think to myself, there will be future generations, okay, who will forget. Mm-hmm. You know, same same reason why you know most people forget about big holidays, Veterans Day, mm-hmm. Memorial Day. And there'll be someone somewhere in the future who will listen to your story and they, they will be touched by it. And, and you can't forget the past or you're doomed to repeat it in the future, I guess. But so I think you do have a lot of value about telling your story. Well, thank you. I, I, I think so. Or I wouldn't be, you know, spending be all here. this time <laughs> yeah, here or, or, go, or still going into the city, even though I'm retired you right. know, from the Port Authority. Um, yeah. Education. I, I do the, Tours for two reasons. One is to commemorate my 84 colleagues <clears throat> because I was, you know, this close to being number 85. In fact, mm-hmm. if I ever write a book in my life, it's going to be called 85. Almost number 85. Mm-hmm. It's a really good idea. Um, and the second reason is education. And, you know, now, 20 years later, we get school groups. None of them were born. Right. Right. And I think, and I tell people at the museum this too. Um, you know, use us while you got us because we've got a determined shelf life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's like the Pearl Harbor Museum. I'm sure there's nobody there anymore right. giving well, tours who was alive at the time unless they were babies and they weren't, you know, aware of what was going on. So uh, use us while you got us. It's an opportunity to hear something that's not 
you know, dry black and white on a page or even the TV, which is not black and white and it's horrific to watch, but it's still, I've heard many people say it looked like a movie, you know, it looks like a special effects movie. You know, we're so jaded these days with all the... It's true. So when you hear a personal story, Uh. it fleshes it out. It really brings some meaning to it. Um, You know, the the tours we give are are pretty much 50-50 made up of tourists from our country and tourists from international overseas. And uh, all the comments that you see on TripAdvisor and all those places, um, you know, are, are all about how mu- how significant that was to hear somebody's story interwoven with the facts about what happened. Well, I remember I was watching the HBO documentary for that, and then the one the one Steve was in. Yeah, yeah, not the Netflix one. The, this one, the first one, I think. It yeah, was. what and happened then, on nine eleven? That's yeah. geared towards school children. Yeah, and I was watching it, and then all of a sudden you're there, and I'm like, wait, that's the deacon <laughs> at our church. <laughs> but I it know was, that guy. but it was just the interaction with the school children in that documentary that I, I know what you're talking about. It's it's a really good documentary to look at too. It is, and and it's a that school was a a, a wonderful example of how to teach mm-hmm. children about nine eleven. You know, they had them doing art projects and all kinds of stuff. I'm only in it for two minutes out of a half an hour, but it's a really good documentary, I think, about how yeah. to tell kids about it. Yeah, I was, I was surprised to see you there, but it was, yeah. kind of, it was really cool, <laughs> no, actually. I was wearing my usual clothing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, me, That's right. I'm not wearing vestments. That's right. So so n- n- now it seems from the outside, correct me if I'm wrong, you sort of have a life of service. Like you dedicate a lot of time to um, the church, uh being a de- being in charge of all, what is the proper terminology when you're in charge of all the deacons? I'm the director of the office of the deaconate. Right, so. right, right. So you spend a lot of time basically figuring out ways to help others. Yeah, I mean, that job for the diocese, a lot of that is administrative, but it's towards the goal of what How, you're, mm-hmm. you know, like we have two classes in formation right now. So my work with them is mostly administrative, but it's to get them to, provide service to the people of this diocese. So that's the goal. My parish work is more directly involved with, you know, helping people on a one-to-one basis. Right. Yeah. So when people talk, uh, um, when you're working on the parish level as a deacon, when people talk about loss, um, you can really relate. You've seen, you, you've, you've, you felt a lot, you know, a lot of your coworkers. I mean, that's the, you know, you, you, you know what they feel. Yeah, that that's uh, you bring up something that's interesting because when I was in formation, one of the things I worried about that a deacon does frequently is wakes, and I remember in formation being very edgy about that and and worried about how do you, what am I going to say to people that have lost their wife, their husband, their mother, their father, their kid? Uh, I don't know what to say. My experience nine eleven may have helped. Uh, I lost. Not just colleagues, I lost some friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that helped, and I think eventually I came to realize that in those situations, your presence is way more important than anything you can say. Just right. don't say something stupid. Mm. Right, just be there. <laughs> right, yeah. and that's your ministry of presence, I call it. That's very important. So, um, yeah, I think it did help a little bit with dealing with those kind of situations. It's not the same kind of loss. There right, aren't, there aren't right, many people right. who... You know, there were 2,749 people that died that day at the Trade Center, so it's a limited number of people, but loss in general, you can at least empathize uh, in a different yeah. way. Are you still in contact with a lot of those other nine people? 
A couple of them. Like I said, Rose usually calls on 9-11. Right. Um, uh, the woman who wanted to work right away, uh, she just retired. So I, I occasionally see her. Um, I don't see them very much anymore. I, I, one of them died about five years ago, not related to 9-11. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it was interesting to go to the wake. Uh, it was in Hoboken. Uh, he had three daughters, and uh, they were adults. And uh, I was telling him how sorry I was for the loss of their dad and whatnot. And, and they were, you know... They were sorrowful, but one of them told me, you know what, the way we look at it, we had 14 more years of him than we should have. Wow. That's a positive spin. Yeah. It was very interesting. So most of them I don't keep in touch with, but like uh, the Port Authority had a service at the memorial uh, a couple weeks after the 20th anniversary, Mm -hmm. and uh, a bunch of them were there. I saw them there. Nice. It was good, but uh, not on a regular basis. Right. So now, so you retired in 2016, yeah. and uh, you don't seem like you started to retire yet. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. He, he went from a paid position to a lot of unpaid work. Did you talk to my wife? <laughs> <laughs> if, I'm in, if we're in company and somebody says you're retired, she just rolls her eyes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. relative to what retirement means. Yeah, it was so. easier working for the Port Authority yeah. than taking care of the honey-do list. You know, <laughs> look, my poor wife, the honey-do list gets as much time as it did then right it's not any better right right um the the position with the diocese is is allegedly part-time um but it doesn't uh, work out that way a lot and the parish which is what a a joyful thing when i want to be more involved in that takes up the rest so yeah it's you know i thought without an hour and a half commute each way wow i've got three more hours a day to myself yeah yeah It's, it's been filled i'm like did I read a book? <laughs> Have I taken up golf? No, right. I'd like to do both those things. Sure, sure. Not happening. <laughs> not happening. But you're fulfilled, right? I th- yeah. You I just am. it's it I just am. from this conversation, this seems like you. Well, I yeah. like to think I followed the path I was being called to. Who yes, knows? that's what it seems like. That's yeah. what it seems like. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you got over there? Oh, these are. Uh, I have a lot of stuff from nine eleven. I have a. Because of my position in the Port Authority, I was able to get a, a cross made out of steel, which is very nice to have that at home, but I wasn't going to lug that in here. Right. <laughs> uh, and I, I got a bunch of stuff, but these are all uh, uh, medals and things I've gotten. This little cross was made from uh, some of the uh, marble that was on the express elevators. And um, I just got a bunch of pins. This is a replica of the World Trade Center cross. I don't know if you remember this. Yes, yeah. yeah. The day after, on 912, uh, workers found two beams uh, attached to each other in yeah, the shape of a like cross, cross yeah. with a, a steel sheet over the corner of it, which kind of remi- reminds you of the Deacon's cross, right. which has a right. stole, a Deacon's yes, stole on yeah. it. So that is, like, important, important to me. And, yeah. And then I actually have, believe it or not, two pins from the 93 bombing, which are pretty rare. Interesting. With the, they this have one. a pin commemorating that? Well, this pin, I had two. If I can, They're both tiny, if I can find the other one. And I wore these pins every day to work for 2,749 days. Really? In memory of the people that died. Wow. Uh, I had to wear a suit back then, or a tie, so I would wear it every day. One, this one was given you. to us, 93 bombing, by the Port Authority, so every employee got that. And you can see it's kind of like looking up from the bottom of the towers. Oh, wow. 
Wow. And then this one was given to us, I don't remember the tenant's name, but a grateful tenant who is grateful for all the work that was put into opening up the building again. Right. Had like a reception for Port Authority workers, and they gave us these pins. Wow. So, anyway. That's amazing. Yeah, that was really cool. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's one of, one of those podcasts. Like, yeah, we just don't have a lot to say. It's yeah, just, it's, it's just, just like, just like I've probably been monopolizing. No, it no, no, no. That's, that's what really it's all about. We wanted to to hear the story, and that uh, and it's an amazing story. And it's really just one that has a lot of emotion tied to it. And I really hope, like, someone scrolling through YouTube years from now, and um, they understand the importance of the day because as time passes by, you know, yeah. we tend to forget. Like, we, you know, we we have no idea what it was like on Pearl Harbor Day. Mm-hmm. Right. We just yeah. don't know yeah. with the, the traumatization of the country. We know, no, we know none of that. Yeah, and the and world's the, changed. The, the good part of that is that, you know, the old saying, time heals all wounds. Right. right. But uh, the danger is that you forget things you shouldn't forget, too. Right. Yeah. And right. That you should learn from. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's been, been a great uh, podcast. Conversation. Thanks. Well, I was very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And, yeah. Uh, if anybody's, I don't know how long it'll be there, but that Netflix Netflix thing is called Turning Point. I don't. They take stuff off Netflix after a while, don't they? Occasionally, uh, yeah. Sometimes they, they yeah, come. So. Usually it's on for a while though. But definitely check it out. It's a really so good Turning podcast. Point. Turning that's point. That's the name of it. Yeah. Okay. I was. It's a five part documentary. The producers tell me I'm on parts one and two. Yeah, I saw it. I've yeah. only seen one so okay. far. Uh, but. Uh. Well, Rob, good. Another great story. Absolutely. Well, my name is Rob. My name is Rob, too. And this was the Help Me on Middle Age podcast. Please uh, scroll, hit the subscribe button, thumbs up, share with friends and family. We can do more interesting conversations like this. And we'd like to thank Steve Kearns for coming out today. My yes. pleasure. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, okay. Steve. It was really good. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye. All right.